Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi everyone, welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast, episode number 16. Um, Today I'm joined uh, by Melinda, as usual, and we have a special guest, Katie Richards from Virtual Legal. Welcome, Katie. Nice to be here. Thanks for joining us, Katie. Um, Scott's just going to let us know a little bit about what we're going to talk about. Um, everything legal, based on the fact that we're sitting here in your office. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's a little bit bit different today. Obviously, um, normally we have Melinda talking data and stats and all that nerdy stuff. Uh, I bring it back down to earth, and today we're just going to blow everyone away with a bit of legal expertise from Katie, um, contractual requirements, and some things to be aware of. Um, maybe a couple of tips. Yeah, I think the big thing for property buyers in Brisbane to understand um, is that the laws around buying property and the contractual obligations and the conveyancing process, it is specific to Queensland. So if you are looking to purchase property in Brisbane, um, it will be a different process to uh, what, you know, the process may be in other states around Australia. So that's why we've got an expert in this area who's going to give us a lot of tips and help us to understand the big mistakes that some buyers make so that uh, you can avoid making the same mistakes yourself. So um, let's just start at the beginning. And if you're looking at purchasing property prior to signing a contract, um, Katie, should we get it reviewed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, One thing that uh, a lot of our um, clients from down south don't understand about Queensland property laws um, and the contractual sides is that you actually have to be a lawyer up here to run a transaction in property. That's right. Um, Yeah, which is not the case down south um, in a lot of places. So um, you always have to make sure you do get the contract signed before you go on, uh, sorry, review before you go and sign it. The reason being is that a lot of people make a lot of sort of smaller mistakes, which don't seem a big deal at the time, but the only way to fix many of them is actually rescinding that contract and entering into a brand new contract. That's actually going to cost money, mm. um, not only with your lawyers often, um, but also with the lawyers on the other side who also have to go to extra um, cost and effort. We've seen that cost anywhere between $400 and $2,000 from the other side before. Wow. It's a lot of money. And I guess the other thing with having to go through that process that there may be a risk that the sellers refuse to re-enter a new contract. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So if they have to rescind, they could have had a better price in the meantime. Yeah. Um, And some of the small things that we see are people forgetting they have middle names or actually misspelling their own name. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we we see a lot of that. It's good to Um, double check that driver's license or the passport, make sure the name is accurate on that contract. Absolutely. Um, The other thing we see too is that, you know, say a husband or a wife might get excited over a property and um, just go ahead and sign a contract, um, like in their name, just assuming they can add the other person on person on down the track mm. it's just not that simple here um you can't just write you know say bob smith and others mm. uh, it just doesn't work that way in queensland so the other thing that we see uh, people forgetting is checking out the actual terms of the contract yeah um you can't just you know walk away a couple of days later and say well you know that just didn't work out for me um there is obviously a cooling off period for different types of properties yeah um but you know you say if it was two weeks down the track and you think, okay, well, you know, I thought I could get the finance for it, but I actually can't get the finance. And in the current, you know, volatile market, Mm -hmm. you have to really be sure of what you're doing before you enter into that. Um, Then, yeah, there are a lot of things you need to check. Absolutely. So what about um, things like when we talk to an agent, for example, uh, looking to buy a property? And um, I I know we had one a little while ago, which we actually worked with you guys on. Um, We bought it as a four-bedroom property and it was actually only approved as three bedrooms. 
Yeah. So there's a couple of elements to this um, where you actually have deliberate misleading conduct by the agent. Um, and then there is a possibility you can go down the litigation path after the transactions happen. It doesn't mean that you can pull out of the contract necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's obviously one of the things that we check. Uh, there are searches that we can do to check what approvals are actually already in place. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to spend half a million dollars upwards on a property, it would be a little foolish in my respectful submissions that uh, you just wouldn't spend an extra 50 or or $100 to check those things as well. Absolutely. Um, it, it makes sense. And the number of times I know that property buyers skimp on some of the searches and it is um, quite surprising given the, given the investment that they're making, the financial investment and the long-term commitment to a property, it's just so important that they do thorough searching and thorough due diligence to make sure that they are uncovering all of the hidden things that other people may not be, um, you know, ordinarily aware of when it comes to doing the, the searching up front. Yeah, absolutely. And also when it comes to the due diligence, if you're getting rushed to a contract to make sure you get a price that, you know, is going to be ahead of someone else, there are things that we can draft into a contract, such as a due diligence clause. Mm. And we can draft it in a way that actually lets you literally terminate from anything from, you know, the grass being too long to the sky being pink that day. <laughs> um, so we could put something like that in there. Yes. The sellers, um, you know, will go ahead and probably just sign that contract anyway. And then to make sure they've got something secured. Um, especially this happens quite a bit just before auctions as well. Mm. Um, and then you can actually go and do your searches afterwards within that seven or 14 day period and make sure that you're happy. If you're not happy and something does come up in that due diligence, then you can withdraw from the contract without losing your deposit or anything. So you can still do that with an auction? Not with an auction, with no. An auction. No. no. No, this is if you go to contract before, before an auction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Auctions, obviously, um, they are unconditional. So yep. you have to have all of your, uh, you know, any searches done prior to that date. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Now, other other conditions. Obviously, you've you've touched on the due diligence there. What about things like we've got building and pest finance? They're probably the the basic ones. Anything else that you see a lot of? Yeah, if you think they've actually done some handiwork themselves, um, you can go down the due diligence path, or you can specifically say, "I want to see the papers for the approvals um, yep. of any works done to the property." But again, we could write that into a due diligence clause for you. Um, uh, some other things you might want to have a look at are, you know, um, whether there's any developments going on around the area yep. so that you're not going to have um, any you know, sort of price reduction straight after you've purchased because there's another 50,000 units go up right beside you. Yeah, that's one of the big things that I know we always talk yeah. about. What is the area going to look like in the future based on what's approved, but also potentially what the zoning is. So that may change the, the outlook in a significant way, especially if you're paying a premium for a city view that won't exist in a couple of yep, years exactly. because there's future development that is planned between your property and where that city view lies. And we've seen quite a bit of that in Kangaroo Point um, recently where mm. someone's bought this amazing apartment and then all of a sudden an area you wouldn't even think they could even put an apartment right down the front. It's blocking everyone's view of all the three apartments. I know because I was living there. Right. And then all of a sudden the value <laughs> of those apartments <laughs> falls and, you know, what you've paid um, includes the cost of the view. And then when that no longer exists, you see values fall and that's obviously a big risk for investors and, and home buyers and something that I I'd certainly want to clear up before I buy. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that a lot of people don't realise is that you can't terminate for flooding under a contract as mm. well, which is bizarre in Queensland. Mm. Um, so you have to make sure we're doing that. It's a free search for flooding. Obviously, you can do that before you go to contract. Yep. Um, and the reason it's, it's obviously important because you don't want you know any impact on the building anyway, but even if the building hasn't been impacted, so that might come up or it might not come up in a building report, but the biggest problem is insurance. 
So even if your building has been not impacted in any way, if it has been, say, within a block of where your building is, sometimes the insurers won't actually cover that at all. So, you know, between all the searches Mm, that you guys do, keeping these guys safe, um, it's really important that, you know, flooding is considered as well. There's a big tip just there for anybody that is looking to buy. Make sure you check insurance before you enter a contract to see how much your insurance provider will charge for your premiums. So especially if you are just in a um, an area that aligns with or adjoins a flood impacted location. Katie, that, what sorry, about that that's also for tenants, I believe, too. So yes. it'll affect your tenant. If you're buying the property as an investment, it will affect your tenant's insurance. Correct. So yeah, you've got to have a, a good look and have a listen back to probably a podcast we did. Oh, I don't know what it was now, probably two or three or whenever it was, we did talk about flooding as well in a podcast previously. Yeah, and all of the ways that you can reduce your risk and and the locations that you can go to to check whether a property is flood impacted here in Brisbane. Katie, there's obviously some more sophisticated types of um, conditions that you can place into a contract. I know in some instances people need to sell their own property before they buy, so they might have subject to sale Um, obviously in a competitive market, those types of offers are less desirable for a seller, but at the right price, they may be considered. Is that something that you see often in contracts? Yeah, we're seeing a lot more of that now. Um, And what we're seeing is that the real estate agents often are drafting these clauses, which is a bit Mm. scary because they don't think of legally how that breaks down. And Mm. what I mean by that is that if you say it's subject to sale, Subject to sell by when? When's it unconditional? Yeah, When's it going to settle? So it could even you know be unconditional and go right through to the actual settlement of it mm. and they'll pull out on that day just because they don't want the next property. Absolutely. And that's a big thing for people to be aware of. It's um, You're being provided a contract of sale by the sales agent who represents the seller in, the insta- in this instance. So if you're not getting that reviewed independently, um, or you're not represented yourself, it's just really important that you know what you're signing up front because there are risks associated with um, with not having the right details in those clauses. And I know something that we discuss a lot with our uh, property investors is rent back clauses. Often people may not have purchased elsewhere and providing the flexibility of a rent back um, can often result in, you know, stronger negotiating power on price because if people know that they don't have to move Um, out of the property they've got more options for themselves they can take a little longer in selecting their new home are you seeing a lot of that in the current environment we are seeing a bit of that Um, one thing that we've noticed uh, in in some of the contracts coming through where there is a rent back that's been drawn in again it tends to be written by the um, the real estate agents and then before it ever comes through to the lawyers and then we Mm. have to rectify it so with the rent back some of the things that you need to think about also is do they need to have a bond how much rent are they going to pay Um, what happens if um, they do damage to the property what insurance do they need in place do they want to extend that term is there any possibility of extension so you have to really think about that person as like almost like a new tenant Mm. coming into the property you know what kind of bond cleaning is expected from them at the end to hand the property back over to you in decent condition and not just the house also the yard and whatever else they've accumulated with rubbish in the meantime absolutely i think we we do talk about the current conditions here in in brisbane and we are seeing properties go to multi-offer so those little things that Katie's touched on there about the your correct details, how they could, if another offer comes in, and we have seen that as well, where we've we've purchased properties and the agents actually contacted us and said they had another offer, which is a little bit more generous than the one we might have actually got the property on. So that's a that's a big tip there to make sure all those details are correct. Just a quick question on the finance, Katie. If there's no finance condition on it and they can't get finance, what's the situation there? 
Yeah, okay, so they would be in breach of contract not being able to settle. Um, uh, In a worst-case scenario, what they can do, the law's changed a few years ago, which is actually more in the buyer's um, favour now. But um, essentially, if uh, they would lose their deposit in most cases, even if they haven't paid a second part of a deposit, Mm. if a deposit is owing, they lose the whole lot. Yeah. They can then be sued for the difference in contract price between what the seller will sell it to to the next person. Yes. And the seller wouldn't have to try and get the best price in the market. Obviously, mm-hmm. they'd have to act reasonably. Yeah. So there would be that price difference between. And then obviously, like advertising costs, maybe some removal costs or stuff, yeah. as long as it was directly related. What about agents' fees? Does that come into Possibly. that? Possibly. Possibly. So it depends on what the agent's contract was. So if it didn't settle, um, then it is possible the agent could still be due some level of fees. Um, Generally, they don't get their full swing of fees until it actually settles. So in short, there's high risk associated with entering a contract without a clause to protect you in the event where finance is not you know formally approved so and especially in the current lending environment I know we've got situations where we've got buyers with contracts in place and the assessment times for those Mm. contracts are just being pushed out you know more and more by banks because they are being flooded and it is you know unprecedented times I guess that's the word we're all using but um, it's definitely important to have your finance in place up front and even if you've got a pre-approval make sure you're protecting your interest by including a finance clause so that you can get final sign-off so that that contract can become unconditional and you do have, you know, firm finance in place. Yeah, and also try not to change your lifestyle too much after you've got your finance approval in place. I know it's generally only 90 days or some some banks will give you, um, you know, six months of finance approval time. Yes, um, of a pre-approval. Pre-approval, pre-approval yeah. yeah. Um, but what we've seen is where, say, someone's gone and had a baby, um, oh, yeah. Or they've changed jobs and all of a sudden the bank's like, oh, no, no, you don't know. We're pulling your finance. And we have seen them pull finance just before settlement. And then they'll be in breach of contract. And then, breach and contract. then the same process will apply that you've just explained, which mm. is, um, yeah, something to be aware of, buyers. It's um, definitely something I'd want to be aware of. Okay. So um, so we've reviewed the, the contract um, and we, we want to probably obviously purchase. What about deposits? If we get, you touched on deposits there and losing deposits, what's the general sort of setup? for deposits with initial first balance and things like that? Yeah, look, what we see a lot of is people seem to think you have to throw 10% of a deposit in. I think that's madness, mm. absolute madness. Um, mm. At the end of the day, I would probably put in more than a 1,000 as your initial deposit so they can see that you're serious and they don't go and sell to someone else. Yep. But maybe up to 5% maximum because you want to make sure in your worst case scenario, if anything ever went wrong, you don't have as much exposure. Yes. Um, and so a smaller deposit, if you can get away with it and they'll still accept it, just go as low as you can on your deposits. One thing people also don't realise is that, oh, no, 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 I haven't um, got the contract on foot yet because I didn't pay the deposit. It doesn't matter. No. In Queensland, a contract is formed when both parties sign the same document, Correct. even if it's emailed back and forth. It's not an exchange process like yeah. in, in the southern states. You yeah, both right. sign the same contract here. Yes. So once it's um, the second person has actually signed, so where the buyer might sign first, seller's signed, um, you might go back and forth to negotiate and cross a few things out initially. By the time everything's agreed, that becomes contract date and the contract is on foot. So if you've yeah. got an initial deposit payable, it's generally payable immediately. So we usually draft, if we can see these contracts first, we draft so that it says the initial deposit is payable two days after contract date. Yes. It gives you enough time to just get it paid. And Correct. then the final yes. one is payable two days after unconditional. Yeah. So if you have to shift out the finance date or you have to shift out building a pest or due diligence, it's still not unconditional until everything's approved by you and then you've got time to pay your deposit. 
that makes sense. I just want to touch back on um, your advice there around going in with the lowest possible deposit from a legal perspective. That definitely works. But as we've pointed out in some previous podcasts, it does depend on what you're negotiating on. And sometimes under a multiple offer scenario, which is something that we are experiencing more and more in Brisbane, being a little bit more aggressive on your deposit and, and legally we can't pay more than 10%. Is that right? Yeah, if you pay more than ten percent, it becomes what's called an instalment contract. Okay. Um, it's actually maybe you know a better situation for you, but bad for the seller because you can then caveat their property. Okay, so we keep it under ten percent, but sometimes to show um, that you are a serious buyer, being a little bit more aggressive on the deposit when there might be five offers on a property, um, it shows the seller that you do have financial capacity if you've got uh, competing. Um, offers that may be around a similar price point in terms of the contract price, then the seller is going to look at what other terms and what other conditions of that contract are more favourable. So that's when a higher deposit can work in your favour. So it's definitely worth noting how much interest there is in the property. Um, if it is a situation where you're negotiating directly, then absolutely, you know, going in with a lower deposit can work in your favour, but always be mindful that if you are competing for a property under a multiple offer situation here in Brisbane, that uh, sometimes that is one way to show strength in your offer. What about um, just a quick one on the cooling off period? So if you pull out of a contract during the cooling off period, there's obviously a penalty in that? Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, so it's 0.25% of the purchase price. So yep. if, say, you don't think you're going to get your finance through, but you have a finance clause, don't pull out under cooling off. Wait mm. till your finance clause, because if you pull out under one of your um, available clauses or termination rights under the contract, there's no penalty. So mm. what about the deposit? Does it have to be enough to cover the cooling off period penalty? What no, not necessarily, not yeah. So even if you had like a dollar down as your deposit, they can still come chase you for the rest of Correct. that amount yep. of payment, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, um, what about if the deposit's not paid? When you said earlier the, the two-day period, what if they actually don't pay that in time? Yeah, that's actually a breach of contract. Yep. This mm. is what we try to get across to people is that I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's a massive deal. Like it's an essential term of the contract. So if you actually don't pay the deposit, they can terminate the contract mm. and keep your whole deposit that you didn't pay and chase you for the rest of it. Yeah, so that's a big thing to, to be aware of. Keep to timeframes and make sure you are transferring that deposit. That's the way we do it these days rather than buy checks in most instances and, and meet the deadline so that you're not putting yourself in breach and therefore making the contract vulnerable to to um, termination. Yeah. Um, one, sorry, sorry, I was going to say also one thing that we find with um, the guys in New South Wales, um, time doesn't isn't of the essence down there yep. and so they don't quite understand if we say that we have to give notice by 5 p.m on a certain date you literally have to give notice by 4 59 p.m at the latest mm, yes. to have complied with the contract so you can't just let it go overnight and just just let them know tomorrow like it's really strict in queensland i bet that's fun during daylight savings too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um just another quick one on that. Um, they're signing the contract when you talked about it earlier about bouncing backwards and forwards with yeah. contracts. Insurance. Once they sign the contract, they've got to get insurance. That's right, because risk passes to the buyer for the entire property uh, the day after contract day. Yep. Yep. So what that means essentially is that even though you don't own that property yet until settlement day, if it burns down a week later, you're going to pay for that to be redeveloped mm, for the seller. Yes. And I don't mm. think anyone's keen on that. No. We saw a lot of that um, a couple of years ago when there was all that um, massive hail damage in mm, Brisbane. Yeah. And so many lawyers hadn't told their clients to go and insure their properties immediately. Um, and they just, yeah, they, they lost thousands. Um, 
any any sort of big mistakes like just in this contract period before we get down to obviously further is there any sort of bigger mistakes we've, i think we've touched on a few uh, mistakes there but is there anything you can think of at the top of your head that to be aware of or make sure you do do yeah, look, I think um, a lot of people, if they are going down the unit path as opposed to houses, um, they don't get a body corporate search. Now, the body corporate search is about a 120-page document often, um, and it'll go through all the things that have happened in the body corporate, where the repairs have been done, what kind of insurance there is in the building, and sometimes buildings are un- underinsured, mm-hmm. which is a problem. So mm-hmm. if the whole thing burns down, you're only going to get a snippet of what your value is worth for the mm-hmm. unit. Yeah. They don't see what um, you know the body corporate committee um, are, are like to deal with whether they actually are proactive in, in cleaning up things whether they go and you know get building and pest um, reports done every couple of years to check on how the full building is actually going yep. but it's like there's no point you looking after your unit if the rest of the the building is you know in, in a heap so you can request that yeah absolutely yep. um, generally reports are between two and three hundred dollars so it's it's really quite a small investment considering the amount of money that you're investing what about seeking funds It'll show you the sinking fund. It'll show you the admin fund. I mean, you need to check that, you know, especially considering what kind of um, repairs have been done on the building already, whether there's enough money in the sinking fund to cover future things they're talking about. And I think that's a big point to to make people aware of just because the body corporate fees may be low now. If there's no money in that sinking fund and the building is tired, it may be that there's something in the minutes of some previous meetings where they're proposing to increase the amount of the sinking fund contributions and therefore as a buyer you would want to be aware of that up front especially if you're relying on information around um, your outgoings being a set amount and there's proposals for those to be increased in the future and that's something that these sorts of searches can uncover yeah that's right absolutely so um, if we move to it during the contract period obviously there's there's things like searches to run through there's obviously the conditions to match um, Things, I mean, little things obviously in your searches, and we do see it quite often where people will throw a little shed up or a deck or do some extensions and do some handyman work. Um, What sort of searches, are there top searches that you recommend? Yeah, it depends on different councils because the searches change per council. They're called something different all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we do is as soon as we see a property come in, we actually do a Google search. So we stalk the house um, as such so we can see, okay, does it look like it needs, you know, extra searches done? Um, We already do fairly extensive searches. I know you guys do as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we'll do is if we think something needs to be done in excess of our usual critical searches, we'll talk to the client about it and say, look, these are the reasons that we think you should do it. This is what the cost is remember what you're investing yeah so um you know some people don't want to do searches which always mm. concerns me because they're investing so much money yeah. yeah and i think um let's give a couple of examples there of some sorts of searches i know um you know we've had situations um not for our clients because we don't buy on main roads but um understanding what the um implications can be associated with buying on a main road if there's future development planned um in some instances council can resume land um, when an application is submitted. So instead of, you know, purchasing a 1,000 square metre lot, there may be some, you know, requirement by council that, you know, the first few metres off the frontage will be reclaimed upon submission of a development application. So as a buyer, you'd want to be aware of that upfront before you move to an unconditional contract so that you have the capacity to assess the value based on a reduced land size. Have you seen that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. we have. We actually had someone um, that um, it came up on a main road search several years ago and um, it was actually 10%. So it was like 42 purchase. Um, we had to work out what purchase meant first. Yeah. 
<laughs> but, uh, it was actually 10% of his land and we did all this searching through the council for him. He didn't want to pay for the $35 search to start off with. Wow. But we said, no, look, let's look into it. So uh, we ended up getting 10% off the purchase price mm. because the other side couldn't confirm, even though this was 52 years old, the notification on the title, they couldn't confirm that it was not going to be resumed. So mm. that was actually a massive win. And that was... That was six years ago now, nothing's ever happened to his property. So that was just, you know, a $40,000 win for him. Absolutely. But it's good to know and be aware up front because it does devalue the land if there's those sorts of um, resumptions in place. So you would want to be aware of that up front. What's the most unusual search? Is there anything? (laughs) We we know there's there's obviously approvals and, and reclaiming land and things like that. Is there something just different that we probably no one would ever think about? Oh, look, I think probably the craziest would have been um, that one of our guys was buying up uh, in a regional area which hadn't been too far away from one of the army barracks where they used to do, you know, little, you know, play fighting, whatever they call it. It sounds terrible. Um, But uh, what happened there is that um, the contaminated land actually picked up um, unexploded ordinances, which is uh, little bits and pieces and bullets and stuff. Building a home on top of a potential explosive site. Explosive value. Wow. Um, So what happened there is that essentially he he got entered into this contract. We did that search. We um, looked at the link that it gave us on the search and it brought us to this website that said um, this stuff may kill you and I like, oh, that's not good for advertising no. <laughs> so he, he we could terminate on that um yeah. straight away and he ended up getting a block just down the road and sort of the seller was a bit shaken that everything was going to be contaminated but the block down the road maybe three four hundred meters away was perfectly fine mm. so he ended up getting that at much cheaper rate than what he normally would have paid for it for a bigger block as well mm. but um it was just purely because of that search yeah i think if i bought that and our three boys would be out there with a shovel, <laughs> probably digging up and trying to find something, a, tre- a treasure. <laughs> but uh, I would hope that we would do our searches up front so that we know the risks associated with not moving ahead with that sort of purchase. Um, so obviously moving conditions, and, and let's say, for example, we're building in pest, um, if there's things that are issues there for negotiations. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things where um, we find a few issues with um, buyers who talk to the real estate agents too much, um, they'll go and talk to the real, real estate agent about um, something that's come up in a building and pest instead of talking to us or talking to you guys. Or The problem that causes is that they then lose their negotiating power Yes, because yeah. they go, oh, well, it's not really that big a deal. No, 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 you tell us that it's not that big a deal and then we'll go and negotiate a really great reduction for you if we need to do mm, that. That's right. Um, but the second that you tell the real estate agent who then goes and tells the seller that it's actually not a big deal and we're not actually going to terminate on that, you lose your negotiating power. Yeah, I think that's that's a big, um, really big tip there, the, the communication side of it. Um, that, that also then jumps into, I guess, if there's, if there's extensions for finance, extensions for any other conditions, communicate really well, open and honest with the agents, the sellers, and then you guys can jump in and obviously formalise everything and communicate it. And one thing too, Scott, is that um, I say if we've got a seller on the other side and the real estate agent or their lawyer is just saying no to absolutely everything that goes on, we, you know, it's not unusual for us to actually pull um, the phone out and just call the real estate agent and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. Yeah. We get the feeling that it's actually not the seller sending their own instructions through. And this has happened quite a bit in um, some of the Sunshine Coast properties with one particular lawyer up there who just likes fighting. Um, and, um, yeah, literally, like, the sellers have actually, a couple of them has have fired this particular firm halfway through a transaction wow. because they cannot get their instructions through to the buyer. Yeah. Um, so sometimes what you're hearing from the other side isn't necessarily what's actually going on 
going on. Mm. So like pays to sort of always be kind and respectful to the real estate agent along the way and um, keep communication open, like you said. Exactly. Um, so settlement, we get towards settlement period in a contract. Um, we always, um, as, a, as a rule, we go to a pre-settlement inspection. Um, if I go out to the pre-settlement inspection, for example, and I see some furniture there or some damage to the property, where, where does our client stand then? Yeah, so let's start with the furniture. Anything that's left behind on the property automatically becomes the owner, uh, so the ownership of the buyer. Um, you may not want to keep their, you know, their cat. Um, so anything that's left there, you, you have the option of either keeping it or you can have it removed and send them the bill for having it removed. Okay, but that needs to be identified prior to settlement or... Can that yes, no, it depends. Generally, we will actually start those and as soon as we find out, we write to the other side and say, you better have these out before settlement. Otherwise, this is what we're going to do. If you don't catch it in time for settlement, we can still do something about it afterwards because it's in the contract. It's a standard term. And this is something that actually I was discussing with some friends earlier this morning on a run, believe it or not, where um, her father purchased a property and when they moved in, it was um, filthy. There had been no attempt to clean Mm -hmm. that property. Now, contract is there anything that can be done at that point if a pre-settlement inspection was not complete? Absolutely not. No, no. cleaning's not part of it. If yeah. there was damage, damage is different. Now, the damage has to be from the seller removing stuff. So if it was damage that they saw when they inspected the building, they take the building as is. Mm. They can't just say, oh, listen, I'd like you to repaint this wall for me because I just don't like the fact that it's always been broken. You can't do anything like that. But say if they pulled a big mirror or something off the wall and there's, or they pulled the, the air conditioner or something out and there's a big gaping hole. Yeah they're liable to fix the damage they've caused to yeah. the, but they have to obviously acting reasonably as well yeah if they don't fix it is there can you then you yeah you can then get it fixed and then and then charge it to them yeah. um claim against them under the contract for breach yeah. of that term okay what about if the bank can't settle oh we don't see it very often but we have seen it a few times um in those situations say where um the bank's risk profile has changed say where someone's had the baby or they've mm. changed jobs yes. or one of the partners has passed away yeah. along the way and they can't service the debt anymore um it, it essentially if you can't settle you are in breach of contract yep. you are going to lose your deposit um you're probably going to lose those other costs as well unless they can quickly find another buyer to step in and minimize those losses yep. at a minimum you're going to lose your deposit however what we've tried to do in the past is that we know lots of different finance people and so we usually get on the phone and all of us will ring around and try and find someone who might yep. be able to help we've also seen a situation where we managed to get a developer to agree to vendor finance yes. for a bit so yep. they said look this person will get finance they've just lost their wife um can you give us six months to get settlement done if you need it for your pre-sales um and then we'll pay the loan out to you in the six months time when the estate pays out yeah okay what about the seller if they can't if the seller can't um that would give the buyer the opportunity to terminate um there's not going to be much loss for the buyer though so even though they also could claim against the seller for any losses it might be their conveyance it might be the search reports um or it might be the cost of uh, accommodating themselves elsewhere for that time period is would that be something that it would have to be directly related so um you'd have to prove that it, it be for a short period of time yeah that makes sense so they're, they're probably the negative ones what if uh, everything's going really well and the the buyer's very very keen to move in what about things like early possession yeah right so um in the event say that the seller has a mortgage on the title and um, banks sometimes go really slow sellers don't realize this mm-hmm. and they'll say oh one week before settlement yeah i'll go and start releasing the mortgage now sometimes mortgages can take six to eight weeks to be released 
So in a situation like that, we've had people that have all their family packed up, all their luggage in, in the you know in the truck, ready to go, and um, we've said, okay, we we will let you extend settlement only on the condition that you give that early possession. Now, early possession is actually drafted into the standard terms of a Queensland contract because it's asked for a lot. You have to have insurance for the property. You take the property as is on the day of settlement. So that's where your early inspections are really important. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're actually already happy with it. Um, And you're liable for anything that you do um, or omit to do um, to the property during the time that you've got it if you end up not being able to settle yourself. Mm, so yeah yeah that's right so if you say yeah you move in you say okay well i know i don't technically own it yet but i'm gonna you know build a deck off the back (laughs) well that's probably not a good idea (laughs) wait until the property is fully settled i think there's been a lot of value that you've added and um and hopefully our listeners have you know that you've helped them to understand that the process is a little bit different in queensland and our contract law you know around buying residential property is is quite different to other states around Australia. And we've certainly highlighted some of the pitfalls um, and some of the issues that do come up during that process. Um, so look, yeah, as, as Melinda said, we've probably covered a lot of ground there, um, a lot of legal sort of chat. Um, <laughs> we, we obviously use um, virtual legal um, with, with most of our work. Um, Katie, how do people get in touch and can you tell us some details how they can contact you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So most people tend to either um, come through people who already know, like, and trust us. Um, everyone else comes through the website, which is www.virtuallegal.com.au, or they give us a call on one three hundred five five zero one five zero. or um, they just tell agents that, that we're the people that they want to deal with and 99% of all the agents in, in Queensland know who we are. Um, and so they'll just put the admin at virtuallegal.com.au address on there and we'll take it from there. And we'll put those details in the show notes today. So if you are wanting to get in touch with Katie or her team here at Virtual Legal, you'll be able to make direct contact with them. Um, they're fabulous conveyances and lawyers here in Brisbane and obviously servicing uh, property purchases throughout Queensland. So feel free to get in touch. Yeah, so, um, look, thanks very much, Katie. Good to chat again. Yeah, Um, likewise. Catch up. Um, I'll let Melinda do a quick wrap-up from there. So we highly recommend Virtual Legal um, to help you out with your purchasing property. Um, We definitely recommend them to all our clients. Um, I'll let Melinda finish things off. So take care and bye for now. Katie, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. You've shared lots of wisdom. I hope that um, listeners have found uh, value in the information that's shared today. As always, please don't forget to... Um, share our podcast with your family and friends give us a five-star review and leave a review if you do get time Um, we always love to receive your feedback and of course if there's any topics that you're wanting us to cover don't forget to email us um, info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au i'm melinda jennison thanks for joining us and we'll be with you again soon bye for now Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and, of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.